get you the word of God. I just feel strongly about what God wants to do in our hearts today. And if you will just follow me for these next few moments, I believe you will have a takeaway. Something will be able to just click this morning. Stand with me and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, then John chapter 12. Amen. Thank you all, everybody. We just got to keep praying for God to open the door. Um, I smile. God has a little secret going on that we don't understand. He, he rotates us. And you don't even realize it. <laughs> if, if, if everybody that is a part of this church wake up and says, I'm going to church, we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> if everybody that's a part of this church wake up. Now, don't wake up next week and says, well, they'll be all right. <laughs> They're packed anyway. Don't do it. God is doing it. You don't touch it. Just keep waking up and coming to church. But I just watched the rotation. And I just thought this morning, I said, Lord, if everybody comes, what are we going to do? And he just keeps smiling. You don't worry about that. Just just, just do what you need to do. That's my worries. <laughs> uh, so I let God worry about it. Did you know the Bible says the church is God's bride? I wish someone was sharing something with me the other day, um, a, a wedding I went to last a uh, couple uh, Sundays ago. Um, one of our co-workers married a pastor, and she said the counseling they got after they got married, listen to this, this is heavy. I don't know if you guys can understand this. Some of you will. Some of you may say, eh, okay. But after they were married, they were given advice by a bishop. He sat them down, and he says, listen. You only have one wife. And the, and, and the pastor looked at him like, I know that. I just got married to her. He said, you probably don't understand what I'm saying. You only have one wife. And he started thinking. The pastor said to him, God only has one wife. The church is God's wife. She is your wife. Don't make the church become your wife because you can't have two wives. I was like, whoa, it's my girl here kicking some knowledge. She said the pastor made them made him understand because it's, it's a lot of pastors begin to pastor churches almost like it belongs to them, which means you have taken God's wife to be you. That's what he was counseling the pastor. Don't take God's wife as yours. The church belongs to God. That's God's wife. And he knows how to treat his wife. So you don't go thinking you know how to treat God's wife better than God know how to treat his wife. Just take care of your wife. That's what he told the pastor. Well, I said he straightened him out real good. <laughs> Just worry about your wife. And I've tried that since we started Christ Church. I know this is God's church and Christ Center Church. This is God's church. And so I don't go crazy and worry about things that it's not in my control. You belong to God. You're his wife. Brothers, yes, you are God's wife. And so whatever the issues are and what, uh, concerning the church, if he don't tell me what to do, I leave it alone, let him handle it. And so we need a church building. All we can do is ask, Lord, uh, are you going to give us a place for us to call our own? That's what the wives, well, the wife is supposed to say to church. And so we pray and ask God for a nice home, and he decide when he's going to move us in our nice home. Just like a, a wife will tell her husband, honey, we need a nice place. We need some place where the kids are run around. And that brother better go find some place to live. Right, Rowan? 
Find somewhere to live. And so that's kind of how it worked. And so we need a place, but it's not my responsibility. I will just follow how God leads us, but it's not my responsibility to kick down doors and make it happen. Because this is God's. So keep praying, and God will show up and show out and get us what we need. But it's his business that we will let him handle and not ours. Amen. Our job is to just come and be a good wife. All right, let me move on from that. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Somebody say tempt Abraham. Uh, Actually not tempt, but test Abraham. And said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. Whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. When you jump down to verse 12 and 13, the scripture says, And he said, Lay not thine hand upon thy lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know... That thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thickle by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. We'll get back to that. John chapter 12, verse number 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was which, where Lazarus was which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one to one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was therein, put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burying had she kept this for the poor Always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Father, the word is already blessed. 
But now we ask that you'll tug on the heart of your people and take them into a deeper place in you. Jesus, I pray that we will have an encounter with you today. That we, Lord God, will receive from you as well as we will give unto you. Let there be an exchange in this place today, Lord God. That we will not leave this place the same way we came in. I pray this morning for the power of God to move upon us and that change will take place in our life. Bless this word. Bless this time of us being together and bless us, your people, in Jesus' name. Let everyone say in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I've entitled this message today, Giving Christ the Best You Got. When I got that title, I remember my girl Anita Baker. Giving you the best that I've got. Tony, you know that. You know that, Tony. Anita Baker was my girl. Man, that girl can sing. Yes, yes, yes. And so, giving Christ the best you've got. Let's go back to the Abraham thing there just for a moment and then we'll move on to the Christ thing, the Mary thing. In Genesis where God told Abraham to offer his only son as a sacrifice. You notice when you were reading in that text, it said his only son twice. I wonder why God was just just making sure we understood his son, his only son. God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son. God wasn't after Abraham sacrificing his only son. As a matter of fact, God tested Abraham with his only son. God said, bring your boy up to Mount Moriah and you're going to sacrifice him. But God had no intention of Abraham sacrificing his only son. God wanted to test Abraham's devotion. Somebody say devotion. God wanted to test Abraham's devotion to him. And Abraham wanted the son so bad. And he got the son. He went through mess before that son came. As a matter of fact, we know today that there's another son called Ishmael. And the bottom line is the Middle Eastern fight has always been because Abraham was so desperate for this son from God that he went ahead and created one on his own that God didn't tell him to do. And now the one that he created is older than the one God said. That's the one I am bringing forth. And so now you have this. Ishmael generation and tribe saying, we are Abraham's seed, the older one, and Isaac is the younger one, and the older one get the inheritance. So they're fighting over a land because they're saying Ishmael, the oldest son, and Ishmael is supposed to get all the inheritance. So all the land of Jerusalem, Israel, they're trying to say belong to Ishmael, which is the Arab tribe. I don't want to get into that, but I'm just telling you how deep that one mistake was. When God says, you're going to have a son, and that son is going to come from you and your wife, and doesn't matter what the age is, you and your wife will have a child because I'm telling you that. Somebody say, I can trust God's word. 
It, it doesn't matter what you think when God says something. It's a done deal. You don't have to go back and start trying to figure out, well, how? Our problem is we want to figure out how. And God is saying, that's my job to figure out how. Your job is just to obey and believe what I said. Don't worry about how God's going to do it. He is God all by himself. And he knows just how to do it. Our job is to just say, God, I will obey you. I will trust you. I will follow after you. I don't need to figure it out. Because guess what? He said to Job, Job, where were you? When I stretched forth the heavens and say, God is doing things that we know not of. Because we weren't even present when God was doing things. And so I don't need to know how God. God's going to do it. I just need to know, yes, he's going to do it. Oh, somebody help me this morning. God's going to do it. Tell your neighbor, God's going to do it. He tested Abraham's devotion. He said, I offer up your son, your only son. He tested his devotion. God was establishing what we will call precedence. Uh, that, that before that he didn't get that established yet but God was establishing precedence from that time on and from that time on till today God is still operating the same way because God changed not and so the precedent that God was, was establishing was this what will you make more important than God what will you make more important than God Will you let your children be more important than God? Yeah, that gets you tensed up because my baby is everything to me. Uh, that baby better not be more important than God. Oh, my spouse is everything to me. That spouse better not be more important to you than God. <laughs> oh, my, my my job is so important that that job better not be more important to you than God. Oh, I got to go and get my education. That education better not be more important to you than God. Oh, all of the things that you have, your possessions, those possessions better not be more important to you than God. The Bible says God says I'm a jealous God. And when you put anything between you and God or anything before God, God will test you. God will test you to say, do you prefer that over me? His one and only son. The one he's been waiting on. Back then, men understood. No son, no inheritance, and your name stopped after you die. So he was desperate for a son. Give me a son. God says, I'm going to give you a son. And then God gave him the son. And then God says, now I want you to sacrifice that son to me. Mm -hmm. God is testing or will test your devotion to him. You can't escape it. Every one of us, whatever is the most precious thing to you, whatever it is that you think is just the most valuable thing to you, at some point in time, God's going to test you to see if it's more important to you than God is. That will happen, guaranteed. I've watched people lost their salvation because when the test came, they failed it because 
that thing or that person was more important to them than God. And maybe they didn't recognize it, but when the test came, they failed it. And that's not a good time to recognize that, oh my God, that was more important to me than God. Hmm. If you think God's going to test Abraham with his one and only son, but let you just skate free? Oh, God loved me more than he loved Abraham. So guess what? God, uh, Abraham, you know, he, you know, maybe he was into something else. But I'm faithful to God. God's going to test you just the same. There is no person walking this earth that God will not test. Whatever is your valuable, precious possession, God will test you. And he's going to see if that's going to be more important to you than him. God wants to test us if we're going to allow anything to be more important. Listen to this statement. Everything in our life is temporary except God. This is why it's so important. It's just like when I counsel people that already had families and they get together and they're going to get married. One of the first thing I love to tell the, 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 the woman usually is, I, used, I love to say to them, you know your husband come before your children? I mean, they get. <laughs> that first person walked out on me and it was just been me and my children and you want to tell me he got to come? Then don't get married, baby. Don't get married. I understand. I, I get you. Just don't get married. Because God's way of working is so perfect. Here's how perfect it is. Your children will grow up and start their own life. What's going to happen to your marriage then? What's going to happen? While the children is there and you and them, you and, you and your baby all the time going out, going shopping, you enjoying your baby and your baby go get her own husband and she gone now. Now what are you and your husband going to do? One sit in the living room and one sit in the dining room, one sit downstairs and one sit upstairs and y'all can't do the phone because you're going to be too old. You're just going to sit in the house in separate rooms and be miserable. That's what will happen if you put your children before your husband or you put your wife before your children. Oh, that's hard preaching, huh, preacher? Well, I'm just telling you the truth. And God is saying the same thing. If you put anything before me, sooner or later, that thing will be gone, and all you're going to have is me. So what you going to do? At some point in time, either you're going to die or they're going to die. Then what you going to do? At some point in time, I'm going to return back. And if they were more important to you than me, you can't come where I'm at. You see how God operates? So whether you like how he does it or not, guess what? We better get on board with the way God do things and not on board with how we like things. If we're going to live for God, we got to realize we got to live for God his way and not our way. Giving Christ the best you've got. This is tough sledding, I know. But just work with me a little bit. You will see that there's light at the end of the tunnel. God will test you. God is not going to just let you have your nice possession and just, you know, enjoy it and let it get in the way of your prayer time. Let it get in your way of you reading the Bible. Letting, letting it get in the way of you coming to church. Oh, somebody help me. Listen. Huh. Uh. Sometimes people say, why, 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 why I got to go to church all the time? There's a lot of reasons. 
But here is what the question will be. What will you do instead of going to church? That's the question I'm going to ask you. You can answer that in your mind. Okay, say you feel like, well, I got to go to church. Why do I have to go to Okay, what will you do instead? And whatever that is, you have made nothing more important to you than God. Nothing. Great answer, nothing. So now you're missing out on your relationship with God for nothing. <laughs> and so it's not about coming to church. It's about what you're not doing, which are what you are doing for not come when you decide I'm not coming to church. What is taking the place of God's time in your life? And that's where God have a problem. So if God has set you in a place where at this time you're supposed to do this, on this day you're supposed to do this, at this opportune time you're supposed to do this, and you decide to do something other than what God and you are supposed to be doing together, you have placed that thing before God. That's how you look at it. We, we, in our CSTI class, we had a guy that stretched it, and I won't tell you that because I don't want to confuse you. We had a guy that stretched what idol worship is. But, but, but he was extreme. He was an old school guy that was extreme. But the, the real uh, definition of idol worship is when you put anything before your God. Is when you're, you and God, when you, you wake up in the morning and you're supposed to have a communion with God, prayer time with God, meditation, reading your Bible, and you decide, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to get on the internet. <laughs> so here is Jesus in Bethany. Let me move fast that. Move fast Abraham and go to Jesus now. <laughs> so here is Jesus in Bethany having dinner with his buddy Lazarus. And others, including the disciples. You know, Martha served the food, but Mary had one thing on her mind. Verse 3 in John chapter 12 says this. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly. Somebody say very costly. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. First of all, how many people would have did that? I'll just picture you having some and doing that. The value of the spike nard, the value of it was... A lot. The ointment or the perfume was made from an aromic or aromatic herb. Also, they call the herb spikenard from the mountains of India. And it was imported in an alabaster bottle. This expensive imported item carried such value that people used it for investment purposes. As gold is often used today, that's how they use that kind of uh, perfume. They said that perfume represents one year's wage. One year. One year's wage. And I'm sure like anything, the older it got probably was going to be more valuable. And so this woman had this valuable thing, Tony, that she was keeping 
Lord knows what she was going to do with it. But when Jesus showed up on the scene, she knew exactly what she was going to do with it. And the Bible says she broke it and poured it on his feet. Can I just stop there for a minute and ask you, would you bring one year of your wage to the church? Listen, can I tell you a secret, Pedro? The church is what God used to do business. But the business is God's business. And we focus on the church when the church is really just the vehicle that God used to get his business done. So if you wanted to give a whole year's wage to the church, you looked at the church. I don't do that. If I'm going to give a a tremendous amount of money to the church, I'm not even thinking about the church. I'm doing it to my Lord. I can care less what the church is going to do. I did it out of the pureness of my love for God. I'm doing it because I love God. I'm doing it because I want to please God. And whatever the church want to do, that's up to them. You heard the man this morning. If you want to go fool around talking about the church and us and everybody, if you want to go do what you want to do with Jesus stuff, oh, you will pay the price. So if the church want to be crooked, you better pray for the church because they're going to have to pay up. God's not playing with anybody that, that misuse his stuff. And so this lady brought the whole wage, one whole year wage to the Jesus. Listen, other women besides Mary's sister Martha had made Jesus supper. Other people have host Jesus besides Lazarus, sat at the table with Jesus. But no other woman can say they anointed Jesus' feet with the ointment, the spike nard, and washed his feet with their hair. Brothers and sisters, are you coming to church to have a relationship with God by the church? Are you coming to church to have a personal relationship with God? Too often we make the relationship with the church and not with God. And I'm telling you this morning, you got to wake up and say, God, is my relationship with you with the church or is it with you? And I'm giving you some advice this morning. Don't let the church be the only relationship you have if you're trying to get to heaven your relationship needs to be personal with Jesus and then the church can follow the relationship needs to be with Jesus not just with the church some people are having relationship with church and leave Jesus out of it You can't leave Jesus out and have a relationship with church. And when we come on Sundays and we come on Thursdays and that's all we do, we're having a relationship with the church and not with Jesus. What do we do when we're not inside the building? Are we worshiping God? Are we being a witness for God? Are we worshiping and praising? Are we giving ourselves to God? Are we loving people? Are we doing the things that please God? Oh, we're just doing everything just regular until we come back to church. God wants you to have a personal, a personal relationship. And that's what Mary demonstrated. Everybody in that room were believers. Lazarus, because he was raised from the dead. 
the disciples, Mary and Martha, because they knew Jesus. You know, all of those people in Bethany, they all had a relationship. But Mary was showing us something. This is personal, baby. This, this is, I'm not just satisfied just being among the group. Oh, somebody, you need to say, I'm not just satisfied sitting in church. Oh, I went to church today. You can't just be satisfied saying I went to church and sitting among the group. You have to get up and you got to say, I'm going to do something personal with my God. I'm going to do something that drives me closer to Him. Oh, I want this to be personal and not just with the group. Uh-huh. That's what Mary wants. She said, this got to be personal, man. This is not about no group thing for me. i got to make this personal. And I know there's a lot of people around here that believe, but I need this to be personal. Let me show you another thing that was very important. You all know that Lazarus was raised from the dead, right? Lazarus was dead, and he was, you know, buried till the point where, I mean, he was stinking. And Jesus visited the grave and said, Lazarus! Come forth. Lazarus came and God told the grave clothes to loose him and let him go. And all of a sudden, Lazarus is back to life. Y'all might not believe it, but I'm just telling you it's true. If you live for God, when you get to heaven, you can confirm these things. And so, <laughs> and so tell me, come forth. And now Lazarus is all good and he's walking around and living. Lazarus is Mary's brother. Listen, at the very least, Mary remembered what God had did for her and her brother. That one year's of salary, that, that precious ointment didn't even compare to what Mary stopped and thought about. Says, man, just for you doing what you've done for my family, that alone is nothing in comparison to that one year's worth of ways that I've broken on your feet and wiped it with my hair. Can we just sometime praise God and worship God for being good to us, for all the great things he has done? I don't know if you understand, God has done great things for you. God has been good to you. I don't know if you know that, but I'm telling you this morning, God has been gracious to you. God has been good to you. God has blessed you. And it doesn't matter how hard life may be right now. It doesn't matter what you think you're going through right now. If God wasn't on your side, you will be going through worse. You will be dead six feet under, perhaps. God has been good to you, and you can't take it for granted. What's the worst thing can happen to someone? Dying in their sins. I'm going to help you. You don't have to answer it. The worst thing that can happen to any one of us is us dying in our sins and never going to heaven. Well, just because you're here today, it meant that you didn't die in your sin and went to hell. That alone, God has been good to you. Because you had no idea when, since you were born till now, how many times death could have took you. You had no, you have no idea all the things that could have happened to you since you were born to up to this point and you could have been dead in your sin because you didn't know Jesus and you would have been gone six feet under, but really not just six feet, but you would be tormented in hell right now if God didn't reach out and touch you. If God didn't come and intervene. If God didn't keep people away and things away. You had no idea. We just think 
We just happy go lucky. Just think everything good. And you don't realize God's been working since the day you came out of the womb. God was right there. And the angel of the Lord was right there. As soon as you popped out and the doctor smacked your butt and you went, ah, the angel of the Lord was right there. And God was looking over and says, I got you. I'm going to take care of you. Even though you won't listen, even though you won't be right, I will be right there with you. I'm going to nurse you through because one day you will be right. One day, destiny, you had no idea where God was taking you, but one day, quite dear, one day, you just keep trusting God. You just keep saying, God, I don't understand all of this, but one thing I do know, if you created us, if you've been protecting us, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey you. You've been good to me better than I've been to myself. We just want to think that God... Uh, just we just live in our life. Happenstance. Well, you know, things happen to everybody. No, no, no. God's been on your side. Grace has not ran out on you. You know what grace means? God's grace been upon your life, and so you have been afforded more time than you really should get. Just like God told Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden. For if you sin, you shall surely die. When they sinned, they didn't die right away. Grace. God's grace been upon us. And we have been blessed by his grace. And we just think life is just, oh yeah. Oh, by the way, you know, I got up this morning and you didn't think that God allowed you to get up because he wants to keep on revealing himself to you so you can get right. So one day you can spend eternity with God. How many of you have children and you you want, don't you want the best for your child? So what do you think God wants for you? You belong to him. But he can't do nothing with a rebellion, a rebellious child. Just like you can't do nothing as a parent with a rebellious child. When your child decides to rebel, eh, nothing you can do. When the prodigal son decides, Dad, I'm out of here, nothing Dad can do. Well, that's the same thing with us and God. As a matter of fact, I'll slip this in for some of you. You know, we, we out here and we see all this stuff going on and we're, the devil is telling you, how can there be a God and all of this is happening? Yeah, the devil tell you that. The devil make you start guessing and start trying to uh, you know, question God, is he really real? He, he's, he's trying to ruin your faith because, because you're wondering how can this all be? And the simple answer is because we want to rebel against God. It's not that hard to figure out. All of this stuff is going on because we decide to do what we want and not obey God. And so we want to live the way we want, but when we need God, we need Him to come in. How does that work, people? How do we, how do we even think like that? Well, God, you know, love me. And so we do whatever we want. And when danger comes, God! Here's how it works. I can protect my children as long as they're in my house. I can protect my kids as long as they're home. I got them. But once they decide to leave out of my presence and do whatever they want, what can I do? Okay. Well, God operate the same way. Obey him and he got you. You do what you want and he don't have you. And so all of this crazy stuff that we're doing, these are people that are just 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 living the way they want and they just ignore God and so their their minds are being taken over by the spirit of Satan and they're doing all these crazy kind of things because they're not obeying God. They're not submitted to God. What do you want God to do? 
my God, letting this all happen. Because we all decide we want to live the way we want. We only obey some of God's word, but not all of God's word. But we want the real results. Listen, I'm almost there. Mary, when she poured out the spike nard, she didn't pour half of it out and kept back some. Half of spike nard poured out on Jesus' feet, we probably wouldn't be reading about this story today. God would, the, 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 God said when she did that, he says, this story will be tell in the gospels. That what this woman have done, it will be written so people will know about what she've done. But what if she probably would have just poured out half and kept the other half? You know how we like to do, man, God, let me give you some. Let me save some for me because, man, I got to save some for a rainy day. (laughs) What if she would have just poured some out? Can I tell you this about God? God will not take half of nothing you got to offer him. Two amens. Y'all don't like that? God is not taking half of nothing you offer him. You know why he can't take half of nothing, Shanae? Because he didn't give half of nothing. (laughs) Maybe if God really did send his son, we can get... Y'all don't understand, man. How the Lord work. For those of you that don't know, God manifested himself because God is invisible. God is a spirit. Noel, God is a spirit. But you can't see spirit. So God realized the only way we was ever going to see him is for him to become a human being. It's the only way we was going to see God any other way, we could not have seen God. So every person in the Old Testament that, just, that saw the power of God move, they never saw God. They couldn't see God. They might have seen an image. They might have seen something like an angel. They never saw God because God was a spirit. But God said, I'm going to manifest myself so you can see me. And I have to do it legally. I can't just jump out of heaven and then put on flesh. So he went through the whole birth process, virgin Mary and all that stuff, because he wasn't going to come to this earth illegally. He can't be illegal. He can't do wrong. So this is why he went through the whole birth process and was born baby Jesus. It was still God. That's the only way legally, legally he could have came into this world. And since everybody that is in this world, except for Adam, had to be born, guess what? Jesus had to be born at the time when Jesus came in the scene. Everybody at that time had been born into this world. So God says, in order for me to come legitimately legally, I got to be born. And I had to become a man. I had to be seen, become visible. So God didn't send another God to come die for you. So when you read the Bible, the Bible says, and God sent his son. No, no, no. God came himself. But because he came as a child, he is the son. Uh, So what I'm trying to tell you is if God would have somehow had two gods in heaven, big God and little God, and he sent down the sun God, then maybe we could have offered him half. 
This is where I'm going. I said all that. I said all of that to tell you this, that maybe we could have offered God half a stuff then because he didn't come himself. He sent somebody. Oh, man. This is what I mean by we can't give God half of anything because God gave us all of him. He didn't give us some of him. He didn't give us the son of him. He didn't give us the daughter of him. He gave us all of him. He says, here I am, and I give myself for your life. I don't want some of you. I don't want half of you. I want all of you because I gave all of me. This is why God can't accept anything little. He can't accept just some of you. He can't accept half a heart. He can't accept half a mind. He can't accept half of nothing. It has to be all or nothing because he gave all and left nothing. Oh, oh. Yes. That's, that's, that's stirring you up and shaking you up and it's making you uncomfortable now because you realize, man, I can't even hold back on God. No, you can't hold back on him because he didn't hold back on you. That's the, that's the whole point of this whole lesson in case you miss anything. Get this. We can't give him half of nothing. We can't give him some of something because he gave us all of everything. Listen, when you get filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, you're not getting filled with some foreign object or you're not getting filled by, um, you know, the sun God in you. You're getting God in you, living on the inside. God don't give us some of nothing. He gives us everything. And God wants us to give him everything. She didn't pour out some. She didn't give him a half a pound of spikenard. She gave him the whole pound. The whole thing. And so God is looking for us to give him the whole thing. Giving Christ the best you got. What's the best you got? What's the best you got? Uh, yeah, yeah. God wants you to share everything with him. If you're in right relationship with God, you're sharing everything with him. I don't know about you. Sometimes I pray. I get out of the formal prayer and I just say, God, how you doing this morning? Oh, y'all don't do that? I'm the only one that do that? I just say, God, I, I just, I just, I tried. I, I don't want to be religious. And so some days I just say, God, how you doing, man? Everything good? I said, man, Lord, I don't know what to talk to you about today because you know everything and I keep saying the same thing sometimes over and over. So I, I don't know what to say, but I will say this. How are you, man? Well, what do you want me to do today? Listen, I just stay quiet so you can talk to me. I'm going to go read your word. And if you want to speak loudly to me, then it's okay. But you know what? I'm just going to just let you do your thing. And I'm just going to look for you and seek after you because, you know, you know everything. That's kind of how I talk to him sometimes. Because it's a relationship. It's not, it's not a religious behavior that I'm doing. It's, it's, it's real relationship. And so I just talk to God sometimes just like that. And so we got to realize God don't want nothing half. He gave us all. He want all from us. I'm getting very close. As she poured out the spike nard... She had no fear. Somebody say no fear, no fear of what anyone would say. We so worried about what people think and say that we miss out on what God wants to do. 
Barry, you can always be used as this, as, as, as for this, for this season as, as the test baby of, 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 of saying, I don't care what nobody think. I, I need my body touched right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I, I just, you know, I keep going back to all the people that experience great things in God. They stop worrying about what anybody thought. I can just can think about it just as I'm just rolling down in my mind, thinking about the people that God touched. And I'm realizing these people had to like kind of make themselves look a little uncool. Blind Bartimaeus on the street and the crowd walking with Jesus. Jesus! They look at him. Look at this fool. That's us because I can just picture it. Look at him. What is wrong with him? Because he's been blind. They're like, man, shut up. Jesus, son of David. And everybody trying to quiet him down. And finally Jesus said, bring him to me. He got his eyes open that day. Then I think about the little short dude that stole people um, tax money. Uh, He saw Jesus. He heard Jesus coming. And he's so short he realized, oh, snap. I can't see him. I'm too little. Uh, ran and climbed up in a sycamore tree. I can see him now. Here he come. Here he come. Here he come. And so while everybody's walking, trying to get to Jesus, touch Jesus, here comes Zacharias and Zacchaeus in, in, in the tree looking down. And Jesus stopped and says, come on down, buddy. And that day he got saved. Then this woman that's been bleeding for 12 years nonstop. She trying to get to Jesus to get healed. She can't. So she just went down on her. Got to crawl through the crowd. Yeah, get out of my way. Who was this lady? Is that a dog down there? They look at the lady. She don't care if they call her a dog. Touched the hem of his garment. And she got healed. Boom. Immediately. Everybody that experienced the power of God. There was something that they became inconvenient or they they went outside of the box they they became they did something different from everybody else but somehow we want jesus to just do something with us and we just stay in our routine we want to experience the power of god and we just stay in our routine the what they do is not the thing their faith is what moved them to do what they did see we want to look at it and say well i got to do that It's not what you do. It starts with faith. It starts with knowing what God can do for you if you will get to him. And when you know what God will do for you, then you will begin to do all kind of crazy things, all kind of uncool things. Because you got to get to God because you're so confident that once you get to him, you will never be the same again. You want to be transformed? You want to be changed? You want to experience the power of God in your life? You want to be healed? You want to be saved? You got to take a step outside of yourself. Nobody gets saved unless they take a step outside of themselves. If you want to give your life to God, you can't sit back and say, Oh God, I give my life to you. That don't work because that don't demonstrate faith. But if you want to give your life to God, when I say, Ooh, whoever, whoever want to give their life to God, you will just come forth. I want to give my life to God. You won't sit there. You're going to get up and say, I want to give my life to God. Amen. You want to receive the Holy Ghost? You're going to start praying. God, you're not going to pray in your mind. You're going to open your mouth and pray. Most people don't receive the Holy Ghost because they don't open their mouth and pray. And why they don't open their mouth and pray? They're worrying about what everybody else thinks. 
This, this sermon might help you when you leave here today and come back next week. Because <laughs> you're going to ponder what I just said today and really realize, that's true, that's true, that's true. Mm-hmm. But you're trying to digest it right now. I got you. You can't worry about the critics. Mary didn't worry about the critics. She just went and did her thing. And if you're living for God, worrying about what people think and worry about what people will say about you, you're in trouble. As a matter of fact, I can go ahead and say you have put those people ahead of God in your life. When you are worrying about what people are going to say and what people are going to talk about you and you let that stop you from being faithful to God, you have now put people and situations in front of God, between you and God. You cannot let anything or anyone stop you from doing what you know will please God. (laughs) What's your motives for what you do? Maybe that's the thing that we need to check. What's your motive for what you do for Christ? What's your motive? Is it always just so you can enjoy a better situation? Uh Uh-oh. I pray because what? I pray because what? I come to church because what? I read my Bible because what? I'm asking you to ask yourself that. That's Because whatever that is, that's your motive. Your motive is in you. So why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, tone say it changes life. You gotta ask yourself that. Now, I'm glad you said that tone. Cause here's another, uh, here's something else I will give you as I'm getting ready to shut it down. Tone said it changes life. That's what a babe in Christ do it for. A babe in Christ live for Christ. To change their life. But when you get mature. You do it. To please him. You do it. Because you love him. So. Now you can go back and. If you are babe in Christ. It's okay to do it. Because you want to change your life. That's right. I want to change my life. That's right. But understand you're babe in Christ. But as you begin to mature. As you begin to walk with God, as you begin to know him for yourself, as you begin to understand what love is all about, now it changes to, I'm doing this to please him. I'm doing this because I love him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I guess there's more teaching than preaching today. Let's, let, 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 let's finish up here. I'm going to finish with this. What's the result of Mary doing all of what she did? What's the result? What happened when Mary did what she did? Mary poured out the ointment and it filled the room. The odor filled the room. The odor filled the room. Can I tell you what Mary was doing was worship. You know, sometimes we have the question, What does worship mean? What does worship mean? What Abraham was doing, when you offer a sacrifice to God, that was considered worship. What Mary was doing, giving her best to God, worship. And so you have to allow what you do to be done as worship. 
What does worship mean? Worship. This is the key word you want to remember about worship. Worth, W-O-R-T-H, ship. How much is he worth to you? When you worship God, what you're doing is you're expressing his worth to you. That's all worship is. Expressing his worth to you. This is why she could have gave a whole life saving because he was worth it to her and some. This is why she could have gave all of that. Abraham, whether he knew God was going to stop him or not, he's saying, listen, you gave me this son. If you let me kill him, you're going to bring him alive again. When you know who he is, you understand he's worth it all. There is nothing I need to withhold from him. There is nothing I need to worry about. Should I give him or not give him? He's worth all of it. He is worth everything. Every bit of whatever you have, whether it's your life, your finances, whatever it is, he's worth every bit of it. That's what she did. She said, God, this may be valuable to people. It might be a year's salary, but to me, you're worth it and some. When you're operating, stand with me. When you're operating in worship, listen to me. When you're operating in worship, you don't have to tell nobody anything. You don't have to explain anything to nobody. You don't have to get permission from anybody because this is supposed to be personal between you and your God. And when you're worshiping God, you don't have to explain. You don't have to ask for permission to worship God. It's between you and him. And what I love about this situation here, when someone has to let you know who they are and what they're doing, they are bogus. When they got to let you know who they are and what they're doing in Christ, they're bogus. Because here this Pedro. This woman did not go around and announce what she was doing. She didn't say, look what I have. Look what I'm getting ready to do. She didn't say anything to anybody. She didn't walk, go around strutting like, man, I got it together. I'm getting ready to give this thing to Jesus. She didn't say anything of that. She just came in quietly. Had her stuff and she just break it, broke it and poured on Jesus feet and began to do it. Worship is so powerful that it's discreet, but everybody know when you do it. You don't have to explain your worship because it's so powerful that it will move God to the point where something will begin to happen in the room. Because your worship will bring God's presence in in such a strong way that everybody would have to know something is going on. And you didn't do that for them to know that, but that's how powerful worship is. And God gave us this story to show us some different things. When she poured that ointment, people didn't have to know, but all the rooms began to smell with that aroma. The whole room was blessed because of her worship. 
Everybody was able to experience this sweet smelling, this scent that you like, oh, this is wonderful. Because of her worship, everybody was blessed. And if we will begin to worship God because of what He's worth to us, then people will be blessed. You will be blessed, but others will be blessed. This is what it's all about. God is so loving. Love is selfless. And when you love God, God don't have a choice but to show you love. But we're not receiving the love that we should because we're not loving Him. God wants to show us what can happen if we will worship him, that we will show him how much we love him. God will show us some great things. Oh my God. I feel his presence. God is calling upon us to worship him. God is crying out and saying, oh, we can do some great things together. If y'all will worship me, I will respond in such a powerful way. I will respond in such a miraculous way because I can't help myself that when my people worship me, I can't withhold anything from them. They can have whatever they want whenever they worship me. But if they will just worship, I want to release upon them the glory from heaven because I love them so much. When we worship God today, when we show God what is worth to us, when we worship God today, when we show Him that there is nothing that we will withhold from Him, there is nothing that we will not give to Him. Today, God, we give you all. Will somebody give the Lord all today? Will you not withhold anything from Him? Will you give Him all today? Will you give Him all today? God wants us to give to Him all, not because of anything, but except for our love for Him. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody help me worship the Lord today. Somebody show God what He means to you. Show God what He worth, what He's worth to you. Let Him know that there's nothing in your life, there's nothing you possess that is more important to you than Him. There is nothing that you have that is more important to you than Him. There is nothing in your life that is more important to you than Him. Somebody worship the Lord today. He loves you. He wants to connect with you. It's through your worship. Don't let your relationship with God be by just coming to church. But let your relationship with God be personable. Let it be personal. Let it be personal. Your worship will cause you to get in a personal relationship. Will cause you to get in an intimate relationship. Relationship with God. God wants to touch your life. God wants to do great things in your life. God wants to move in your life. But it's only going to happen when you decide, I love you, Jesus. And I will worship you, Jesus. And I will adore you, Jesus. Oh, God, I've learned from Mary that God, whatever I have, give I to you. Whatever 